welcome to Sonic Talk. This is the podcast and weekly show that uh, has things to do with, well, it sounds like perhaps uh, random percussion instruments, but I'll get onto that in a minute. But uh, to all things to do with music production, music technology, live audio, live sound, software, drum machines, synthesizers, that whole thing. And first of all, I'd like to welcome, if you're watching via Facebook Live, this is our first attempt at doing a Facebook live stream. And this is where the show proper starts, because I've had me sort of the back of my head and turning around and typing into keyboards and stuff while I get the stream out. It seems to be all good. So welcome to you all. In fact, we have this kind of uh, master chat room, which should have uh, YouTubers and um Facebookers in the together as well as I like to say our fulsome chat room, which you can find at sonicstate.com forward slash live. More housekeeping. All I like to say thank you very much to our sponsors, sponsors even Isotope uh, for uh, they're going to be giving away a copy of Vocal Synth, which is a vocal processing plugin, uh, and you will also find out whether you may have won one for last week. So that comes about halfway through the show. Show lasts for about an hour. Uh, please, if you like what you're seeing, subscribe to the YouTube channel even if it's via Facebook or whatever, just go for it. It's uh, it's something that we uh, we would appreciate muchly. Anyway, so let's start with uh, some viewers. No, some viewers, what am I on about? See, all of this preparation with the new streaming thing throws everything out. Let's start with Gaz Williams there. That's an easy thing to say. Gaz Williams, gazwilliams.me, professional bass player, producer, music technologist, all of those things, fresh from Sheffield, or perhaps not fresh, I don't know. Not fresh, no. <laughs> oh, I, yeah, I think... I, you know, I haven't been to many of those things before. I so, sorry, that's a subject, isn't it? A yeah. Topic. Well, okay. well, I should say that was Synthfest in Sheffield, which we will talk about later. <laughs> How are you? Apart from that, you can talk about anything apart from that. Um, oh. In your preamble. Um, uh, uh, the thing I was talking about last week, this is the Waves NX. I've been exploring oh, it a little, yeah. bit, a little bit more and uh, having kind of mixed mixed reactions with it but it did get me twice yesterday where i was um where it actually i had to take my headphones off and check that it wasn't real it did actually get me uh, and what i realized i had to do was i had to because <laughs> as you move your head around you know you can hear the stereo sort of move around the, the nx is a is this head tracker thing and uh so the you know you there's a little piece of software that goes with it that you strap yeah. across the master the master bus uh, anyway uh I had to. I realised I had to take the headphones off actually and listen to music out of the speakers and actually move my head around in these kind of ways just to sort of hear how it actually did sound like. So when in I put real what in real life? <laughs> yeah, in real life. In real life. So when I put the headphones on, I, I, I then realised that sort of setting the um, the distance, you know, the ambience, the amount of ambience uh, was absolutely. Once I matched the kind of what I perceived to be the right amount of ambience then it really did actually work. It actually sounded like the music was coming out. You know, as I would lean into one speaker, I would hear that speaker cross to a... So it was like... Ooh, hmm. that so, sounds but, interesting. So you, you, yes. you, you crossed a Rubicon. Uh, yeah, but the musical value of that or how that actually sort of tran you know, translates to, to, to mixing and mastering and those kind of things, which what I'm, I'm kind of interested in, late night work, uh, headphone work, we'll have to see. So watch this space. Well, thanks very much for the update. Um, we'll also come to, uh, let's go, we'll, we'll stay in the UK and we'll go to, well, that's not Andy Shillito. Dave said that Andy Shillito might be on and I thought his lower third had Dave Spears and Andy Shillito on it. And as actually, this is Dave Spears <laughs> of G4 Software, who currently is uh, babysitting in his own property for someone who hasn't shown up. 
but I appreciate you coming on, Dave. How are you? G4 Software, of course, makers of fine software instruments and um, transporters of uh, epic vintage synthesizers, because I think you took some up to Sheffield Synthfest as well, right? Which is very, uh, very uh, brave of you. Yeah, we we didn't want to do that whole, hey, look at us, we're selling loads of stuff, all that nonsense. So we just, we had a bit of a poll and... The eight voice one, we elect, it was a CS80. Uh, it was a choice between CS80, the Jupiter 8, the Prophet 10, and the eight voice. Yeah, CS80, and forget that, that, right? Well, actually, that was an incredibly <laughs> close second, and I was relieved that it didn't win because it developed an issue the night before, as these things are wont to do. Anyway, the eight voice survived the journey, it survived being prodded and poked continually by people. It survived a total madman. How can one person make something so beautiful sound so absolutely terrible <laughs> to the point where everyone was complaining? I was just about, to, I was doing a VIP panel and I was just about to start and notice this noise. It was like a kind of test tone feedback. And Chris went looking for it, went round all the other booths and found that it was our booth. It was oh, just gosh. a bloke. Uh, so yeah, and then it survived the journey back, and then I put it in yesterday and or the day before. I can't remember what. It's a bit of a blur, and yes, it works. I am <laughs> so glad. To see I, actually, I had a visit yesterday from Mark Doty, who was also ah, okay. this is a bit of a synthfest special, but but not by design. Uh, he came down here, and also Simon Forsyth, who uh, drove up to uh, pick up something that I'd sold him. I sold him a uh, HPD. 10, I think, you know, the, the Hansonic thing. and uh, HPD-15. HPD-15. And he picked that up, but he also brought along an Oberheim 2 voice, which I uh, and just said, have a listen to that. And it was honestly, it was sort of spiritual. I've never, I, it, I, I just absolutely love the sound of that. And the one thing I did notice is everything's really firm on it. I mean, it's like 40 years old, but all the pots feel kind of quite, they almost feel like, too resistant like you were going to break it somehow they're very very tightly kind of whatever set up so you know i'm, I'm so not surprised it's, it's a beautiful instrument i can't imagine I, tr- you know what you, well you know what kind of year i've had it's just been a nightmare and i've kind of walked in here regularly and you know just no mojo at all just it's just it's just gone and i was coming in feeling incredibly guilty that you know, I was just using some of these things for work and there was no real pleasure in it. And uh, I thought, I, I have to sort of sort this out. And after a while, I came in and uh, I thought, I'm going to force myself to use one thing and one thing only. And I used the eight voice and That'll make. In fact, my wife said the following day, you've started humming again. I posted it as a video and loads of people have liked it. In fact, it got resurrected the other day. But, my, but Louise said, you've started humming again. And I was like, it's that instrument. And Better have a shower. Hey, <laughs> actually, I met a trombonist at the weekend and he said, OK, I said, if you do the slide, I'll do the symbol. And he went. <laughs> that was at a wedding. That was the reason I couldn't make chef. That was the reason I couldn't make Sheffield because uh, I went to a wedding at the Royal Baths in Bath, which was really swanky. So uh, wow. my neighbours will my ex neighbours will not be watching this. But if they happen to ha- ha- congratulations on your wedding in and James. And it was, uh, yeah, it was an awesome event. Anyway, we've got another guest. We've got Mr. Richard Hilton from sunny Connecticut, uh, where he mans the controls for Nile Rogers and also plays in the disco band Chic. How are you, Rich? Very well, thank you. I'm so glad to hear that. What's been happening in your world? The Ober- Oberheims, though, oh, I love them. 
I've just yeah, discovered well, I must have one, a SEM. The two voice was the first one I ever came upon, and I fell in love with it immediately once I got what it was able to do. And uh, and then, of course, the four. I've, I've never actually played around with an eight, but I love watching Dave play with it um, in the videos. And uh, it, it is truly a magical sounding thing. I just can't imagine having to deal with either four or eight of those. Two feels really good, though. Feels I that just that is like the. I was just playing with it with uh, Simon, and I I switched my uh, patented massively long reverb patch on everything, and it just we were off. It was just like oh, but it sounds so. Just the oscillators sound so good, and those filters. There, it's a thing, isn't it? You just go oh, nothing sounds like that. I mean, there is nothing that sounds like that that transition from band pass to high part you know through all those modes it's uh, always a mistake to me i thought that that's not automatable or not controllable by cv or is it available on a patch point somewhere does anyone know there are there are patch points for pretty much everything in an sem available for an intrepid person with a soldering iron yeah i that's that's something that mm, that just it's the sound isn't it it's the sound anyway Oh, we should probably get on with some uh, some news and stuff. Oh, this was sad, eh? Wow, Craftwork in Bristol. Okay, guys, did you get a ticket? No. I I was I I tried to get Craftwork right. I was my partner spotted it and she said, "Oh, you should try and get a ticket." I thought, "Yeah, I should be able to get a ticket, no problem." So I queued. I got there the first, uh, not physically on the website, and it said you're 93rd in line. I thought, "Brilliant, I got it." Nope, sold out. I was like, "Oh no!" <laughs> and then. Matter of minutes later, these were the tickets. I think were forty-eight quid, which is eminently reasonable to see a band like that. And then minutes later, they were going for four fifty plus. Even no, up to no. Uh, uh, you can uh, no. That's the cheapest. Uh, Twelve of your friends to the grand tier box. You could buy the box for six thousand six hundred. I mean, it's just uh, mind blowing. I don't know, uh, Rich. You saw them, didn't you? Have you seen them quite recently in their recent tour? No, um, well. I saw them in, I believe it was 2013 or maybe yeah, 2014 well, quite... at Moogfest in Asheville. <laughs> it was in Asheville in North Carolina, and they were playing and we were playing. And uh, I had the chance to see their show and loved it. It was really fun. It was Excellent. great. Took pictures, enjoyed it. Sounds fantastic. I don't want to rub it in because I know you yeah. didn't get a ticket. But it was, no, it was I can't really, believe it. It was fun. Ty got one. And he said he was Good. he was further down in the queue than me. I suspect what I did is I was queuing and then I didn't uh-huh. look and it went past and I just wasn't on it and that's my own fault. I suspect. I know, Gaz. You, I bet you did. You try and get tickets? Nah, boarding. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> no, only joking. <laughs> uh, what happened? I, well, I saw them in 2013 as well, and they were headlining a festival and they were doing this thing with the 3D screens, but the screens were quite small. So either side of the stage, like the 3D effect was like, you know, so all the audience were there just sort of squinting, trying to sort of make out these kind of vague 3D images on the side. But, you know, all these grown men stood around just going, ah, and all these youngsters going, I don't get it. It's a bit boring. It's a bunch of old men just stood there, you know, and then I kind of saw it through their sort of Empress New Clothes kind of eyes. I was like. Ooh, it is, isn't it? <laughs> I did wonder about that because it's not the. I mean, you know, it, it, the the light show kind of has to compensate for the fact. I mean, they've never been uh, a, a kind of emotive type of band. They don't effuse kind of rhythm and dance and on stage vibe. It's all very static and that whole kind of mannequin thing. So yeah, it's a funny. Uh, it's a, it's a funny sort of juxtaposition of things. I don't know, Dave. I'm guessing you didn't get tickets, did you? Oh, don't tell me you didn't. No, but they called in here on the way. 
uh, asked if asked if they could jam around on some gear, and I said, "No, sorry, boys." Yeah, should have booked an appointment. Yeah, if you can't book an appointment, you're gone, and they left. Uh, so yeah. None of none of that's true. Uh, no, I didn't, and I haven't seen them actually. I don't think I've ever seen them. There's only one of them now, isn't there? Yeah, I suppose. Well, I've seen one of them. I saw one of them at Superbooth playing double. Oh, uh, yes. Not double bass. Andrea Schneider's were playing double bass, and uh, Florian was pl- Florian Schneider, who's the kind of slightly nutty, uh, won't really talk to you in anything other than riddles kind of guy. Was playing on you know one of those massive uh, educational MS twenties <laughs> into a into a guitar amp. It was really weird. It was it was a very strange and it was very avant garde. You know, it wasn't it wasn't a catchy tune. It was just noise and you know. But it was a, a pr- rare privilege, I guess. One, but, one of them used to walk around Frankfurt, didn't they? Who was the one with the really distinctive face? Is he Ralph or something? Ralph. It, it looked like he was wearing a kind of deer stalker and stuff, wandering around. Nice. Maybe it was somebody completely different that I mistook for somebody. Yeah, whatever. No, no. Yeah, he was going, that's always happening to me. Yeah. (laughs) I do know of a band who, uh, I shouldn't really say the name, but they got to know them quite well and were like, can we jam with you? And they were just, this is like years ago, and they're just like, no, we do not jam. We do not jam with anyone. We just, everything is completely precise and done our way. So I know that upset them. That's quite weird, though, isn't it? Because when they started, I mean, they came from that classic kind of German uh, uh, tradition of the kind of hippie jam band, you know, that everything was kind of improvised. I didn't, wasn't it uh, Michael. Schneider, um, Schneider played the flute and it was all very kind of uh, mm-hmm. psychedelic? Michael Rother, Michael Rother and Klaus Dinger were in the band then, weren't they? And they split to form Neu. Uh, so that was like a, you know, I think that was a major, a major split in the band. And I mean, um, uh. yeah. So it, that's yes. that, the difference between preparation and improvisation kind of yeah. like like it often is on this show where i am not at all prepared <laughs> <laughs> anyway yeah let's let's move on let's move on anyway uh um so how about this hey Lordy, why does it have to be dubstep? But this is the uh, palette gear. These are sort of clipper. I mean, it's not a new thing, but it's new in that this isn't actually designed for MIDI. This is designed for application control, but there's a MIDI mode of them. And it did sound quite nice on the headphones, although, you know, uh, anyway, this is palette gear, and basically MIDI mode has been announced, and it, it. it's these things are um let's see if i can find it yeah there's a i've got a web page here they're little modules that you clip together there's a power module that shows an an icon uh and shows you know the application you can upload a png to it so it tells you what it currently is doing and you can switch i think and the idea is i mean one of the uh the first demos that i saw was it controlling lightroom so i think the resolution of the faders and the and the knobs is outside of midi so you can control various values and it's the idea you know i mean everybody got into trackpads for a while i know they were quite big in the states for controlling midi sequences and certainly uh, whereas i stuck with a mouse but you know the idea of kind of further than the wacom something that will do something you know and you can snap them all together in different shapes and what have you i don't know what anybody got any strong feelings about this i'll start with you guys because you got the little steinberg mini controllers didn't you and kind of built it's a similar sort of concept but very much geared to midi i mean this runs on windows as well though which is kind of interesting yeah and 
I mean, <laughs> the thing about this is really, though, is just about snapping the bits together. Yeah, they really emphasise that sort and, of sound. And, and giving your mates a go of doing that, the very same thing. <laughs> uh, beyond that, yeah, mixed feelings about it. I mean, uh, you know, because uh, I suppose they are very small amounts of controls, aren't they? I mean, you know, in terms of it being just like one control per per unit is that right do any is there any more than one control uh yeah but blocks? you you get you can buy them individually or in various kits uh mm-hmm. and they come i think the starter kit is uh 200 bucks with two buttons a rotary a fader and uh you know the power module with the with the lcd thing on it and then you can buy different sizes different configurations add-ons so you know 50 bucks for a this that and the other so you know you buy what you need i suppose up to up to 18 is that right Ooh, that uh, what I read there's somewhere? a man who's actually done some research <laughs> <laughs> uh yes i'll take your word for that <laughs> uh yeah so pretty cool but I, i'm not sure i'm not sure i think it's it, it's, is that enough control for people you know just a maximum of eight, 18 controls well i'm uh, just thinking you know for other stuff too i mean like the idea you know even just it might be even for video editing or you know right. sp- yeah, like a whatever. job wheel, uh, yeah. Yeah, and if you can if you can store separate configurations on them, then you could have a kind of uh, an edit mode or a mix mode, or you know, the, from within the same thing. I don't know. I don't think the faders move, which I think is obviously a bit of a downer for some people, right? Well, well you mentioned earlier that uh, I was using. Well, that I am using the the Cubase um, CMC controllers, uh, which I actually love. They're discontinued now, but the one that I particularly love is just like a jog wheel that's got a few different functions. It can be like a, um, could be a, yeah, uh, it could be a jog wheel for moving through the project. Oh, it does a- it do that thing where you can it controls whatever the mouse is over as well? Exactly. So you know, so actually that whole idea of just having one or two controls immediately next to the mouse or immediately you know where you don't even have to look you just reach and and control i can see that working so but then you'd still have to have that big power block even if you only wanted just a single one is that is that correct yeah well i don't i wouldn't call it big but i mean no it's not big it's it's the size of a a, of a button or a knob yeah Yeah. okay but yes you would and then i suppose you could just grow it then you know as maybe just have a few functions and you think oh actually and maybe and the idea that you can snap them on and, and position them around yeah it's a it's appealing um i wonder so, how it, i wonder how it talks to other applications as well because obviously midi's one thing but if it talks to other applications you know like lightroom and all of those things i wonder how it does that and that's kind of interesting because you might be able to get in and have higher resolution controls of other things which kind of sounds interesting but we'll see uh rich any interest in this kind of thing i mean it's a pretty it's a, it's a it looks like a beautiful object or set of objects which is always a plus in my point it looks like it might be really cool i like the fact that it's ultimately configurable and reconfigurable and you can store whole setups across your whole hardware and even if you move the hardware around disconnect it and reconnect it it'll track all that and keep the right settings on the right device it does it does a bunch of kind of cool stuff some part of me thinks that I don't really want to have to build my console every time I start a session. But <laughs> yeah. on the other hand, it's a tinkering kind of time where people like you, like you have those Korg, little Korg synth things that like go together. And people are kind of liking this Lincoln Logs approach to building control aspects of their lives. And I think that's cool. It's fine. It's fun. Yeah, I'm, it does seem a bit expensive. Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, it's the, uh, but I think you're getting 
you know, they're aluminium boxes with what appear they to might, be yeah. nice controls, but are people prepared to pay for that? I wonder. Right. Compared to buying, you know, something with a similar complement of configurable knobs that's actually one pre-configured device with 25 keys on it. Yeah. Well, and a few pads and a few knobs and a few sliders. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. It would be a pretty, uh, be pretty expensive to build, you know, a, a, an entire soft sync con- controller um, for, for this sort of thing using this. But, I mean, you know, you use Final Cut Pro as well, Dave. I mean, could you see something? I mean, do you get in? Have you got any uh, controllers, or are you kind of mouse, mouse and keyboard man for that kind of stuff? Repetitive tasks and all of those things. Mouse and keyboard. Yeah. Well, I, all I want to see is some kind of standardization between that and logic. You know, in terms of key commands and stuff. Well, yeah, but you so can... I, I can switch between one and the other and not go, ah, I've just erased everything by using the wrong key command. But don't you <laughs> don't you configure... That's a, that's a really good point, but don't you just configure that yourself? I mean, because Logic, you can customise most of the keys. I mean, I, set, I have a set of key commands that I'm quite... I'm quite um, forceful whenever I go to someone for a new session and they maybe aren't using Logic very much and they don't use it. I kind of say, use these, they're great. It's a really obvious look. You do this, and it's really clear. If you just and then every time I go back, it's something that I know. And and I try I also try and configure um, the same key commands when I'm using uh, um, you know Logic uh, Logic or Vegas for video editing. I mean, the big difference is, is you know the cursor stuff. But yeah, that's a good point. Do you? But... Oh, it's interesting. I, mean, from, I think what happens with me is that Apple have either got a webcam in here or somehow they've hooked into my computer, and they know that about a week after I set up all my key commands they'll just come out with a new iteration that just decimates them and changes them completely. I'm sure there's somebody kind of sat there and, yeah, he's done it again. Nobble. It's a nobble button. It's like, you know, with that gas, when you're filling up with gas and you're just like, yeah, 50 pounds, and then they push that button and it's 50 pounds and a penny. Yeah. <laughs> it's that button. Yeah, nice. <laughs> well, maybe you're right, but, yeah, key commands is an important way to go. I mean, you know, if you if – you maybe the, the thing is, is this is the sort of thing that people would get – if they don't really dig in and, and customize those key commands, because it's really important to do that, I think, because you can create standards across software if you've got software that will allow you to keep, uh, customize those key commands. I mean, I don't know in Final Cut Pro how much granularity there is, for instance, but I know you know you can do that in Logic or Reaper or whatever. I mean, on a slightly more serious basis, it was quite interesting. When we did the Fat Boy a million years ago, uh, what we noticed is that there was this kind of indirect transit. People would have to translate between the position of the knob on the screen and the position on the knob when they were controlling, say, a soft synth. And we noticed that that kind of interfered with the flow a little bit, which was one of the reasons when Kent said about, you know, the imp 2 controller, we were like, yeah, yeah, that direct correlation to kind of remove that barrier. And we had that, we had an idea very similar to this, uh, but, nowhere near as elegant um, and we couldn't afford to execute it but that idea where you could build something that actually replicates that instrument on screen that you you know that your software synth that you love yeah, so in it, effect you reach for those knobs and sliders instinctively as opposed to oh well, that one is oh yeah that's there isn't it yeah it's it's the holy grail isn't it we've talked about it before and i think the only real answer is to do it yourself there you go rich is uh, is pointing proudly to the, uh, <laughs> the Imposca controller, which I have to say is yeah. the definitive example of how to do that sort of thing, given yeah. no worry about cost or replication. You know, it's, it's I got, easy. 
I, I got told off at Synthfest, I have to say. Somebody said, yeah, it's all very well you bringing the 8 voice, but why didn't you bring the t- touch digital controller? And I thought, you know what, actually, that's a reasonable boy, isn't it? Because <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. no one's played with one. You know, they kind of didn't really make it to stores or anything over here, so no one got that opportunity. Yeah, I think no, we're good. Gonna, we'll do that next time. Good idea. Oh, you've there, committed already. If, if there was ever such a thing called the knob factor, that would win, wouldn't it? The, 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 you know... Al's just got the best, the best controls, the best feel. Of, <laughs> I love feeling Dave's knobs. Hey, here we go. It was knobs. Yeah, I heard the plural. Uh, right, so, uh, well, let's take a quick break and have a word from our, uh, our fantastic sponsors. Uh, this is Isotope, actually, who uh, will be showing you a little bit about the... Uh, there we go, it's the vocal synth. Here it comes. Separate modules, got a harmonizer, the unison, octave and intervals, which analyzes the pitch coming in. We've also got vocoder, which is a classic robotic vocals, but you know, got a little bit more of that uh, vintage vibe than CompuVox, which is a bit more, is that Sennheiser sound? And TalkBox, as I say, without the need for a, a, a spit-filled PVC tube in your mouth. You could download this, and you get, you, as with all of the Isotope stuff, you can download it and try it out for 10 days unlimited. So it's well worth having a look at. Uh, and, of course, you can enter our competition, which is also going to be available. I want to say thank you f- to them for, sponsor, uh, for sponsoring the show. In fact, what we'll do is we'll, uh, we'll start with the competition this week. So this week, what we're looking for is uh, a Twitter uh, a tweet, in fact, uh, with the hashtag harmonies and the hashtag vocal synth to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. And if you're listening on, listening on audio, I'll say that again. The hashtag harmonies and the hashtag vocal synth. And you tweet that to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. And then you'll be entered uh, to win the competition. And we have a winner this week. And I'm really pleased to say the random computer has finally picked one of our more most uh, voracious YouTube commenters, a chap called Mechanic. Mechanic Music uh, is his uh, Twitter handle. It's at Mechanic underscore music. And he says, uh, you pick the vocal cover tune, which I'm guessing maybe means he might make a piece of music if he wins. And he has actually finally won. And he's always uh, been around. So I'm really pleased to... To, to be able to announce that so great a deserving winner and a long time fan of the site so yeah good for you mechanic go for it uh, once again we thank Isotope for their continued sponsorship of the show it's uh, very much appreciated right here's some very interesting news this was a video that was shot at uh, Sheffield. My name's Pete Sadler. I'm head of software at Midas. We're here at Synthfest in Sheffield showing our DeepMind 12. We're also showing a world-exclusive augmented reality interface to our DeepMind 12 as well. And with that, you can see inside the DeepMind, you can look at the mob matrix, you can see the envelopes, and you can do lots of really interesting things. People have been playing it today, so let's look at some of the reactions. I thought the the immersiveness of it. I'm just going to fast forward to you guys because you actually got to. Uh, but I mean, you can see the sort of stuff that's going. This augmented reality thing is really fascinating. The way it can overlay graphics on physical surfaces. Uh, if I scroll th- slowly, um, 
because it's got a camera in the headset. And that's a sort of dedicated Windows 10 computer running this uh, Microsoft HoloLens technology. So it's it doesn't require anything external. I'm guessing it communicates with the DeepMind via Wi-Fi MIDI or OSC or whatever it may be. Um, perhaps one of you will be able to tell me because there's very little information. But it looks... There we go. The on the envelopes, and I loved it. And then I started to sort of see how that was the way I could really see how the technology could really work. Because you know, and, and adjusting the envelopes there and seeing that heads-up display reacting to it. But it was really nice seeing all three envelopes at the same time, and then you could just toggle between them. I also thought it was interesting uh, seeing oh, the, God, yeah, keyboard overlays. On the keys for, um, you know, like learning keys or learning songs. I thought that was pretty cool, too. So lots of stuff in there. Gaz, we're rocking the uh, HoloLens there. It's a bit of a Bjorn Borg look from behind, I thought. Nice, a nice look. Um, I'm going to start with you, Gaz, because obviously you experienced this. I mean, it's a pretty, I mean, it's bonkers. I mean, the HoloLens itself at the moment is SDK only. It's like 3000 bucks or something. So, I mean, obviously when it's finally released to the consumers, it's hopefully going to be significantly less expensive than that. But yeah. you got to see it. What's it like actually interacting with AR, let alone that and a synth? Uh, well, I mean, this was proof of concept, so it's, it was early days, and and to that end, you know, it was, it, you know, it, it was a bit crude in 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 ways, you know, in terms of the user experience. It was really just a sort of um, a glimpse. I would call it like a glimpse of things to come, and and to that end, it was really fascinating. I mean, um, you know, some of the things because the interaction was actually using a leap motion, so that was how you could oh. so you actually. And I've got a leap motion here, and and it, and it sort of suffers from the same things that leap motions suffer from as well in terms of, uh, you know, it, just to actually align yourself with it and get it kind of working. Uh, it's a li- it's a little fiddly, but saying that, I mean, that wasn't what it was about. What this was about really was just kind of looking at how well. And and as I mentioned in the video, I think the heads up display aspect of it was far and away the most interesting thing to me rather than you know there's like a laser harp element and things like that but you know that stuff's kind of cool but um you know like the deep mind has got a really really interesting mod matrix and uh, that was the thing i was quite taken with because we saw an enormous mod matrix in front of you uh so you know w- with a complicated synthesizer being able to have that big viewable architecture that you can look around it and then you know i guess interact with but not even interacting with just 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 seeing what's going on right sort of examining a patch right okay yeah that i thought that was i thought that was super cool but i mean yeah it's it was very very interesting and also i think it was a i think it was a brilliant idea to demonstrate it in conjunction with the DeepMind 12, because, you know, if you're playing stuff with the arpeggiators and then interacting with it, you know, you kind of, it was a good way of exploring the synth as well, which is super impressive, I think, personally. But yeah. I think there's, what's interesting about this is it's kind of the first time that probably any of us have have been touched by this, you know, because usually what you're seeing is gaming and kind of that side of things. You don't really see a musical, potential musical application for that kind of thing. And I don't know whether that's something that appeals, I mean, because you could see this maybe working with mixing or other things. I don't know. What do you think, Rich? I mean, do you think there's a kind of, I mean, it's a bit minority, minority report and all of that, but is there something in there that kind of sparks interest? Yes, there is. And here's what it is for me. Since the introduction of uh, basically synthesizers that are run digitally in particular behind an analog faceplate, 
We've been plagued with the problem that trying to operate this staggering number of parameters through looking through this tiny, tiny little interface view makes trying to conceptualize what you're doing a lot more difficult than that modulation matrix page I saw in the video that Gaz was in from, from the Synthfest, where I can imagine now being able to much more quickly and easily affect changes and get from place to place within the architecture of a very complex signal path without actually having to like go stepping in and out of menu structures in order to get between the two things. There's been a lot more of that addressed in the last, I don't know, 15 or 20 years anyway. And, and I understand in the hardware, but I think that this is a possibly very significant advancement if it's well implemented and if uh, the headsets that play them back become sufficiently reasonable in price. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, we don't know what the final price is of this. But yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I know, Dave, obviously you're... You know, you straddle the straddle the, the gap effectively because you know you've got all of that lovely hardware there, which is knob per function and what have you, but you also have software, which you know is again, but still, you know, you can't grab a hundred, you know, three or four controls very quickly and change them unless you've got hardware controller. But the scale of it that seems very seems quite appealing in many ways, right? Yeah, I didn't spend very long on it. Oh, did you experience the HoloLens thing? The chap asked somebody to get off so that I could have a go, and I didn't feel comfortable with that. And I didn't want to look too much of a, more of a knob. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I had a very, very brief look, and yeah... Yeah, the potential's amazing, and even they admit that the graphics were rusty. The graphics for me, or basic, the graphics for me looked, looked like a kind of crappy game show graphics than Minority Report. But, you know, hey, it's the start of something, and exactly like Rich says, you know, can you imagine being able to go in and work out exactly what's going on on your Emu Morpheus, which was an awesome piece of kit, but had me kind of scratching my head constantly okay so it's that envelope oh and they're the breakpoints on that so yeah the idea of can you imagine people doing you know bespoke uh, yeah i suppose bespoke since i suppose the interesting yeah 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 I, I mean and i suppose the interesting idea is the fact that whatever you know the deep mind or whatever it is you're controlling needs is the fact that there's they've worked they've got this kind of interface between gesture and space and midi or osc or whatever it is that you know controls those parameters and that really opens things up i mean i guess the other i mean that, that was one of the questions i was going to ask andy shillito uh, if he'd been with you is whether there he could see a situation where you might want to control a live mix in that kind of scenario and be in a sit because you know a lot of desks now are essentially virtual control of parameters with a control surface that configures itself depending on which layer you're on and whatever but to be able to kind of actually have as long as you can design perhaps your own workspace so you can kind of have, make things happen by very quickly just sort of that's really doing interesting, all of that actually. stuff because he does you know when i've been to gigs that he's done and you know i'll go stand in his little front of house or big front of house area and he always says, you know, right, this is my space. Don't kind of come in on this space. And if you do, walk behind me. Cause, and that's fair enough. You know, that's all cool. But in a way, 
And I've never worked out whether he was kind of putting on a performance for my benefit, but he does treat the gig a bit like a performance. You know, there are all these kind of cues and stuff where he's spinning in and out of delays and stuff with matey's vocals and him and the lighting guy are kind of having this sort of jam. You could sort of see it with a kind of minority report thing. It would be very interesting. Also, I love that idea. I, whenever I work with anybody musically on a track, you know, on a recorded track, I always say, you know, like a bass player or a drummer or a guitarist, I always ask them to sort of imagine that they've climbed inside the track, that, that actually they're surrounded by it, in effect to try and get a bit of a kind of band feel. Whereas this, you really are in it, aren't you? Kind of, you can have giant bass guitars and things like that. Yeah, I mean, it really, I think the potential, I mean, obviously, like you say, it's, it's early days and the fact that, you know, it's it's early graphic, I mean, you know, the... The Behringer guys aren't graphic designers necessarily, the Midas engineers. I mean, I think they're the guys who've been driving this. It's, it happened out of the Manchester uh, factory, as far as I understand. You know, they 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 went over and they got someone to to get them a HoloLens so that they could get the SDK kit and, and just worked on it kind of in, you know, in yeah, isolation. They, they freely admitted that, you know, the, the graphics and everything were very basic, but it does give you that glimpse. I think what that guy said, or, and Rich said, it's, that, it's a glimpse of something else. Yeah. As long as you can put up with people around you sniggering while they're watching you go. <laughs> well, I suppose you might combine it with, because if you've got the control, I mean, you could, you could imagine that essentially you could have, you know, because the control surface you have uh, in front of you is mapped, you know, graphically. So you could almost have something inert that's just like a CPU box that f- drives all the DSP that has various facets and fascias on it that things get projected onto so that it, it, the amorphous shape of it is almost irrelevant and that that's interesting hardware might develop into something so you just see this kind of table with loads of shapes on it and areas that you you know that don't mean anything unless you've got the thing on and you're actually making the control there could be part that, that i don't know i think that's quite fascinating i don't know what it's like i guess i mean you did it is it disorientating is it weird i mean do you feel odd when you're doing it it's the lack of resistance you know when you're putting your hand into the space you know sort of and it's it's very similar issues i've got with the the theremin as well you know of just um you know by having no resistance it's it's it it's not a very satisfactory feeling that you know um i guess that the technology the frame rate the graphics all of that has to be at such a great level where those things are beautifully intuitive having to sort of go oh is you know whereabouts is my hand and you know that kind of thing which we're still sort of at that stage it it seems um so yeah um <laughs> you know we were joking about d-beams you know just going, oh, yeah, well, go. uh, yeah actually yeah <laughs> well you, couldn't you just have a bank of d-beams rich yeah <laughs> i'm just i'm not as interested in this as a performance medium although there are people who will be but more as if I can see an entire complicated synth paradigm laid out before yeah. me as a single screen that re- sort of for uh, kind of the way uh, Yuhi does it with their software synths anyway, except if I, you can basically just reach out and grab things and connect them and, and treat the thing like a single screened instrument, that would be a huge boon to me. That's all I'm asking for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could I tell you where I think this could really win is something like the Softube modular system where it's actually quite hard to to orientate yourself because you're looking at it through a screen whereas if you've just got a big pile of modules and a bunch of cables and you just you're effectively 
what feels like physically connecting things. Uh, I mean, not actually with resistance, but it's much easier to maybe visualize that way. Yeah. Well, if, for a lot of tasks, I take Gaz's point, um, w- which says that having the resistance of moving something that feels physical is a benefit to your ability to control it. Yeah. As with as the difficulty with theremin. So in the case of console paradigms where you're mixing we this sort of already exists in the existing digital console paradigm because you can assign any number of channels to these eight faders in front of you and work the entire mix from those eight faders if you choose to work that way or yeah. if you want to lay it out across seven but it, you, like you say you, you have got a physical interaction with it haven't you yeah and you and there's resistance and there's you know this physical touching involved this this imaginary touching thing is uh that's a great show title right there. I'm going to go with that. Imaginary touching. I like yeah, it. Yeah. I, I guess the thing is, if you, were, if you were really good at Tai Chi, you could imagine that being, you know, what's, what's the, um, the, the, the Chinese thing where it's all about movement in space? You know, something like it's that. Tai where Chi. You, yeah. It is Tai Chi, right. Okay. Anyway. But this is the same uh, kind of issue I had with Stephen Slate's coffee table, which is that you're not actually touching anything. So it, it's still essentially running your fingers across the surface of an enormous iPad. And, uh, yeah, you that's, know, yeah, that's, it's actually, a different, that's it's a different satisfying experience. as having a bank of faders that are freely assignable to every one of these functions. Yeah. 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 I see what you mean. Well, and that, that should have some kind of haptic feedback so that if you make, um, filter mouth, it gives you a short, sharp shock. <laughs> That's almost yeah, but that's that's not fair because that's almost impossible for many of us. So you know, I got I'm suffering from trill chin at the moment. Every time I'm trilling, my chin is I just cannot stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so if anyone knows the cure to tr- trill chin, <laughs> trill chin. That's another great title. What was the other one? I've completely forgotten it already. That just shows how my short. What did I say? It was uh, uh, something? What did Imaginary you say? Was Imaginary touch. Sounds like a Genesis album. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay, I'm writing those down. There we go. They're in. They're in. Uh, okay, right, next. Uh, what was this one? Uh, uh, let, yeah, let's do this one. No, that's not the one. What am I talking about? Sorry about that. This is the positive grid. So this is... Uh, it's kind of new approach to the, something we've seen before, which is kind of essentially DSP in a pedal. allows you to model distortions, but with lots of control. I'm guessing maybe you can tone print it, if that's not a, a registered trademark, so you can bring in various different sounds and just have them at your fingertips via software and maybe by audio analysis, I don't know. Wow, not a design one like that. No, really, that looks interesting. Not much distortion or guitars in the soundtrack to that particular uh, video, but we were talking about this as a possibility. You know, this idea of all these great plugins being allowed, able to put them in some hardware so that we didn't have to take a computer on the road. Um, I'm going to start with you guys because you play a thing with strings regularly. Um, Positive Grid, make, the, the, they make some really good uh, algorithmic stuff for, for amp modeling and pedal modeling so you know they've got pedigree but you know yeah. so did so did line six and so have tc right well not that much of a pedigree i mean they've only been around for a few short years i mean their first as far as i know their first forays really was uh, the jam up 
the Jam Up app. In the early days of <coughs> iOS apps and uh, Guitar, you know, when there was a whole slew of amp modeling solutions, and um, Jam Up seemed to be seemed to be really good. And then they took it up quite a notch when they introduced the Bias amp model that we amp modeling software that we covered on a on an old episode of Sonic Touch. Yeah. Uh, and now they've moved across into the hardware business. Uh, they first they started doing um, amplifiers first. So now they're moving into, well, actually, sorry, before that, they started doing Bluetooth foot switches. So that, I think, was their first uh, hardware foray. So it's just quite interesting seeing a company growing and developing in such a way. Uh, you know, And I think that's brilliant. So, yeah, good on them, because I think they're a fairly young com company. So, um, And this... I, I think, in a way, is uh, a culmination of everything they've been doing up until now. And uh, it's got that thing that is vital if you want to sell it to guitarists, is that the, the, the technology side of it on the product itself is very, very minimal. I mean, there's very few controls other than your bass, mid and treble, gain. You know, it's got a blend, which would make it valid for using as a bass distortion. Um, yeah. And then that selector, that selector knob. So, you know, in terms of the actual access to technology on board, it's relatively minimal, which I think they've, you know, the, the, again, for the guitar market, I know that Sonus, the pedals I absolutely love, are just a bit too technical for a lot of guitarists. You know, guitarists don't like LFOs and envelopes and that sort of terminology. So you do have to kind of market things in such a way. However, I mean, I'm mentioning this. This is why it seems to be like the perfect blend. You know, connect it up. It's got Bluetooth in it. Connect it up to like maybe your iPad um, and then dig in and have a play around with it. Now, obviously, it is a digital pedal. I don't know what its analog credentials are in terms of what the signal path is like, uh, but it is an anal It is a digital pedal through and through. Uh, and there, therein is the rub for me. I still am yet to be convinced by digital distortion. Every time I've tried good ones, and I've got some, I've got various ones here. I then plug in a analog distortion pedal, and you know. Yeah, I it's just, it's a different I've thing. I've yet to hear this sort of the same. I don't know. It always feels it always feels a bit flatter. I don't. Quite have you tried? Have you tried the Kemper? No profiling. And that's supposed to be very very good, and it's a similar kind of concept. I know, Rich, you play guitar, so you. I feel you're qualified to uh, to. The, but I mean, generally, <laughs> I, I, we don't know. This is uh, available for pre order twentieth of October. We don't actually know how much it's going to be yet. That's that's obviously the rub. Well, it's funny you raised the word Kemper because I thought this was sort of the Kemper of distortion pedals. It professes to learn the characteristics of existing distortion pedals and be able to accurately apply them. I don't know to what extent it'll sound digital in the way that Gaz just described and somewhat flat two-dimensional, or if it will sound wonderful when you plug that sucker in. The demos sounded pretty good, and they got a pretty cool variety of textures and tones out of it. And the fact that you can actually craft your own, I think is probably appealing to guys who want to be able to feel like they're still using the things in their rig that they're accustomed to. So you have a better chance of selling its versatility to a guy who feels like he can just sort of sample quote unquote, his distortion pedals into this thing and have them available all under one roof. 
I guess there's a market for that. It's very interesting to me, as was the Kemper thing and as is the modeling amplifier world of Line 6 and people like that. Uh, just a quick uh, jump into the chat room. Um, uh, hi, Hakon Saraidi. Sorried, I think he says. Distortion is so easy in analog but difficult in digital. That's a good, valid point. And uh, Gaz, uh, Rachel Mich- Michelle says, uh, Gaz, the new boss was a digital amp. Sounds unbelievable if you wanted to try something there. I oh, know. Um, uh, Dave, have you got a, Have you got any thoughts on this? I mean, it seems to me that, yeah, as, as there was said in the chat room, you know, distortion is so difficult in digital but easy in analog, whereas time-based stuff and, you know, you know it, it isn't it, or is easier at least. So you'd think you know, that would maybe make a, make a more uh, a rich scene. But I suppose if you want to get there, then this would be a way, right? Yeah. I didn't realise it was distortion. I thought it was a box full of a choir. Yeah, yeah, it's a choral pedal. Yeah, that's what it sounded like on the advert. I was like, "Wow, it's like got little choirs in there and stuff." And you can kind of, but it wasn't, was it? It was about guitars, which I know nothing about. So I should shut up. <laughs> okay, well, if you can pass uh, on that if you like, but, but yeah. so the the thing we haven't really talked about though, well, Rich said about, uh, but is this idea that you plug your existing pedal into it? And somehow play some sounds through it, and it what what is it convol is it some form of convolution? Does it do? Um, I don't know. I'm guessing to... it must, but I don't. I just right. don't know. Or some sort of well, uh, it's probably ACB, isn't it? FFR. Analog circuit behavior, analog modeling, that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, not ACB, but you know, analog modeling. Looking at some of the software. I'm wondering if it's more FFR sort of. Is that how they would do it? Um, I'm <laughs> right, not sure. Yeah. Uh, Pass. Uh, but. It's an interesting idea, certainly um, in terms of you could probably make it do some very horrible things as well. And then, <laughs> and then that's where it becomes interesting. Because I was thinking about this. I was thinking, I was reflecting, um, you know, the recent analog heat from Electron that's been announced. Yeah. That's sort that, of hybrid, isn't it? That's a hybrid, but that's got, uh, I can't remember how many... Um, is it eight different digit, uh, eight different analog distortion circuits? Only one of which can be engaged at a time at this present point, I think. But um, and then I, I was thinking that that pedal, the size of that pedal, wouldn't it just be better to have like three analog distortion circuits in there? Yeah, that's a fair point. You know, uh, but 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 that's that's to discount the the validity of the um, of the uh, the, the modelling functions built into it however just just to cut just to finish that on a positive note i think it is great that they're doing this i really think it's very interesting but yeah i would i'd love to see what would happen if you just sort of recorded egg whisks and sort of farts and i don't know just um slapping people into <laughs> into it <laughs> well, yeah, yeah i i don't know is the answer to that yeah. I think Dave is having some video issues, but he's still there. Um, okay, right. Well, let's get on to uh, this other topic because, uh, well, if you want to check it out, it's at positivegrid.com uh, and you can pre-order from there. And I don't know how much it is yet, but on the, is it the 10th or the 20th of October? I, I've forgotten now. Gosh, damn it. I had that written down, I think. Uh, 20th October, so you could check it out. Let's check this out anyway. Hi, my name is Nun Fonseca, I am the creator of Sound Particles, and I have a new series of video tutorials to give you a better overview of the software and its features, 
Um, before getting into the software itself, uh, it's important for people to understand what kind of software is this because it's completely different from any other software uh, that currently exists. So essentially you can think of sound particles almost like a CGI kind of software but for sound. So in CGI softwares you have these... I won't play a lot of that because it's quite a long-winded explanation but um, the reason this whole thing came up is because uh, I was talking to Simon Power, a friend of ours, came down with Mark Doty yesterday and he was talking about... Uh, this kind of issue that he has with randomization because, you know, quite often he has to create scenes like battle scenes for, for, for audio uh, presentations, uh, random, random stuff, you know, where things are going off. And it, to, to make that in, in detail from a sound library or samples or whatever is incredibly laborious and highly skilled and very difficult. What this program does, uh, Sound Particles, this is called, is allow you to create a kind of effectively a three-dimensional space, put a mic in it, and move it around. And each of these particles can be a sound file which has randomization in it. So you could just throw like a whole bunch of war sounds in, you know, bangs and pops and aeroplanes going past, and then just set it off. And it would basically create something very random. Or murmuring, you know, if you've got a crowd of people and you need something to not sound repetitive, it would allow you to create this kind of very randomized sort of soundscape. But that, that, I was listening to these other appear, but it, it, it was, I thought it was really interesting actually, because uh, I've, no, I've done, you know, where I've had to do footsteps to picture or all these things. And to make something that is truly random sometimes is that it's almost impossible without you know, spending weeks and weeks on moving individual things around until you don't feel you can hear hear the pattern anymore. I know, Rich, I don't know if you've got a chance to check out some of these uh, things. There's some great sound examples, and it's all THX and 5.1 and 9.1 mics you can drop in there. It's really fascinating kind of concept, I thought, and I don't know how much of it you can um, you could apply in a musical sense, but I think quite a lot too, right? I think it could be useful, and I really enjoyed. Uh, I dig. I did dig into this guy's videos a bit to get a sense for what it is and what it, how it works and stuff like that. And I, I think he's right. It's totally unique software, and uh, probably fills a niche that nothing else quite fills in this elegant a way. It is a tad fiddly, yeah. But I think people in those businesses are used to fiddly stuff. It's not, you know, a mass market product. There's not, you know, a line of people at the door guitar center waiting to buy one of these. But no, sure. uh, there's, but for the people who need to be able to do that kind of thing, yeah, I thought it was brilliant, and I really enjoyed his demos. And it looks like it would be really fun to play with. Let me just play this pitch shifters demo because this this is where you kind of start to hear the true kind of classic let's see if i can get it to play this is quite subtle and this is another render where the pitch shifting is oh I, I mean i you know it's a lovely sound and all those things i'll tell you what it reminded me of dave whose video has gone um it was because you're always talking about the, the the polyphonic portamento on the OB8, and I just thought, hmm, yeah, there's something about that randomness that obviously appeals to you. I don't know if you could still hear me. Can you? Oh, there he goes. I, I can. I, I can't see you. Okay. My Skype seems to be crashing, but as long as you're all right, I'm I can fine. see you. Uh, yes, it did. I downloaded the light version of this because i was quite fascinated by it i haven't installed it yet but yeah i watched a couple other vids and kind of went oh yes because like like you say doing the footsteps ambient stuff 
making it kind of convincing is uh, it's not an easy task. It's very difficult. Yeah. So yeah, so I haven't really got a huge amount to contribute to this other than the fact that I have downloaded it and I'm going to. But well, it it's the, the nature the nature of randomization itself is actually you know something that we often strive to, and that maybe that's the thing that about analog that you know it, with uh, what it does to our ears is what makes it appeal, and you know as we've seen there are a, a number of kind of algorithmic approaches to making what is DSP generated synthesizers sound less formal and more kind of wandering about all over the place, and this it seems like the kind of in the extreme. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's like, interesting, isn't it? We have, yeah. it, we kind of want what we haven't got. If we if we've got something random, we want it to be completely stable. And if we've got something completely mm-hmm. stable, that's we want an element of random. There's something kind of weird about it. Yeah, that's a really good point. I guess I don't know if you've done had to do any foley work or soundtrack work where you've had to create kind of soundscapes that are purely you know maybe non-musical. But something like this seems like it could be a very powerful tool. Yeah, and it's interesting to me uh, at this point in time because part of the reason I got this uh, Waves NX system is to explore what the idea of having uh, my own surround sound, uh, an ability to interact in surround sound in my studio short of having to buy a surround sound uh, rig. Um, So I'm looking at, well, I've actually been looking for pieces of software to explore, uh, you know, surround sound sort of ideas and maybe this would be quite a cool thing to to try that you know and then to see within the uh the nx you know to create a five one or a seven one surround sound system oh, i see set, yeah set set things off and then, and then move around within it to see if it does kind of convincingly uh give you a, a three-dimensional immersive feeling um i feel there's lots of things all heading together you know to do with this sort of burgeoning vr market and um you know, the whole immersiveness surround thing. You know, I can see plenty of uh, uses for this, exactly as you mentioned at the top of this article about a war scenario uh, or, you know, playing games, having all sorts of stuff going off. I mean, I think we are quite sensitive uh, to hear looping patterns, you know. I think we sort of, even if we don't know why, we... Yeah, you know, we do, yeah, absolutely. We, we, we do, yeah. So... Ah, and uh, I love, uh, I do love playing with randomi- randomization. I was doing it yesterday with uh, Robbie Bronneman on the OP1, um, doing, uh, just using the little random LFO uh, that, uh, that, that say you point it at the effect, it'll just randomize all the effects. I mean, it's algorithmic randomization, is that right? I mean, can't be truly random. But um, it's, uh, you know, it is something very engaging to the mind hearing this, you know, absolute randomness. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, interesting stuff. Again, it seems to, as I say, yeah, cool. Lots, it's worth checking the subject. It's not a cheap, it's not a cheap bit of software. It's like two hundred and forty-nine bucks, but uh, you can check it out. You go to sound-particles.com and go. Right, I wanted to. I, I just realised that I wanted to to talk to you guys about Synthfest. I don't know if you knew um, our listeners and viewers and you uh, in the UK. Sound on Sound put on uh, a kind of affiliated uh, event, like a cross between a modular meet and a and a trade show dedicated to synthesizers and synthesis. And that was in Sheffield at the weekend. And I know uh, Gaz went and Dave went as an exhibitor. And, and I was really surprised, Dave, because getting you to go to any kind of trade show is you know is not an easy task. So what 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 was it like? <laughs> uh, 
it was very good. It was very enjoyable. I kind of went as three things. Uh, I went as uh, no, I went um, as an exhibitor, obviously with the G four stuff. But we shared a booth with the Eye Monster guys, and Bright Sparks was shown at some point during the day. Although I was supposed to do a little pre talk for that, but I couldn't. I didn't know where it was shown, so. I don't think many people went to it. I think Chris went in there and said there's about three people who are very, very interested and nobody else. Uh, and then I was chairing a VIP roundtable oh, yeah. panel, yeah, yeah, yeah. which was very, very good fun. <laughs> uh, so it was a mental, kind of a bit mental for one day. Uh, yeah. We drove up the day before. We picked Mark Doty up from the airport and then drove him. Uh, we went to see the Strictly Electronic guys, the Mellotron guys. So that was all great. That was a kind of really nice social, good chat. The journey disappeared. And then we went to Sheffield and then we set up. And then it kicked off for a very civilised time. It was about 11 o'clock on a Saturday. And, yeah, I, we don't. We really do pick our shows very carefully. But I kind of, because of the three elements of this and the fact that, you know, the Monster guys are Sheffield and it would be a really good time to hang out with them, it was... It was really good. There was a lot of... I'll tell you what completely blew me away was when I was doing the round table, you have to bear in mind that most of the other hall, most, I think we might have been the only kind of software people, which is why we felt like we had to take a piece of hardware along just to kind of join in the gang. But um, <laughs> there was loads of Eurorack people. I get got the chance to check out the Behringer, which was great. Robbie introduced me to those guys. That was cool. Uh, but tons and tons of Euro rack. So I had slanted the VIP, the roundtable discussion, uh, towards Euro rack modules. In fact, I did make the DX7 joke, and but just translated it to Euro rack, which I won't repeat here. But um, I, at one point, I asked the audience and everyone on the panel, "So who's got a Euro rack system?" One person in the audience and one person on the panel. That was huh. com- that was totally bizarre you know that was the vile electrodes girl jane who is brilliant and then we had dean ramirez who's a produced some underworld tracks on there um this guy richard formby who's done like spaceman three and whatnot uh dean honer and this guy stephen singleton who was part of abc and vice versa and this band that i loved in the 90s bleep and booster who and the latter was i mean they were all great but the latter was just unbelievably hilariously dry it just, mm. he blew me away. He's quietly said to me before we went on, I'm very nervous. And I was like, no, you know, we're just going to have a chat, you know. Let's talk about synthesizers. We're all good at that. And uh, one of my last question to him was, well, it was to everybody, you know, what would be your desert island synth? And he was just like, well, there was a synth called a microwave, wasn't there? And I don't think I'd want a synth on a desert island called a microwave. I think I'd want an actual microwave. <laughs> so, so, And it was brilliant because he took the mickey out of me for being a namby-pamby southerner. And it was very, very good. Now, whether it was very good because for us it gave us a chance to, you know, meet loads of people that we've engaged with over the years on via email and Skype and whatnot. And, you know, all of a sudden you're kind of chatting with them or having lunch with them or a beer with them. Uh, whether that was a major, major part of it, I think it may have been for us. And I kind of said on the way back, you know, maybe next year won't have that sort of magic to it. The fact that Gaz and Robbie turned up as well, that was I pretty I... hilarious. And I have to say there was so much love for this podcast. 
yeah. people coming up asking for us, us, not you, Nick, us. <laughs> Can I have my picture taken with you and all nice. that kind of stuff? And this, and this one guy was a pyrotechnics expert, and he oh, yeah. was like, and I use MIDI to set off the pyrotechnics. He did it. He does it, Glastonbury. And, he, and I think what happened with him, he comes from an art background, but he started listening to this podcast because he wanted to know what else he could do with MIDI, and now has kind of a, you know got into music and obviously done the whole Eurocrack thing, and it was really. <laughs> fascinating talking to you know this huge cross-section of people but for me to think that the euro rack market is totally saturated and then to ask that question and to have you know just the odd show of hands was like wow it's got you know there's a huge audience potential audience for it out there anyway huh. yeah yeah, no, well, that sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, if I come to you guys next, because I, I know Rich, unfortunately, couldn't make it as myself. So <laughs> I, I'm keen to hear your experiences. But, uh, yeah, it's great to, to be amongst people who 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 know you for your work online. And, and you can, you know, you, it, it, it's a great, you just start conversation because they know you or they feel they know yeah. you. And, you, and you, start, you start a relationship sort of halfway in without having to go through loads of, yes, hi, I'm Nick, I do this and I do that. Because <laughs> they know that bit. I just didn't get to see hardly any exhibits, though. That was the problem. <laughs> but, uh, no, it was brilliant. It was so good. But you, you mentioned that it was a trade show, and I don't really... It, it didn't really feel like a trade show to me. It felt much more like an enthusiast an enthusiast's gathering, including the, the, the people who were... Uh, you know, who had the different booths? It, it really didn't feel like a, a, a sales... A, a, you know, like a sales pitch at all. Um, and it was very, very friendly. I mean, Sheffield is... A, a, an incredibly friendly city anyway so it it, it had a, it very much had that friendly very um unpretentious very accessible it was lovely that was so good it was really really that was one of the best things about it i think really just just how much it was a uh, just how human it all was um, uh, but I did get to have a little play on the new Model D, which absolutely blew me away. It was so good. It was so good. It was better than I was expecting. It was just so evocative, but the um, the subtle new additions to it, uh, which really, you know, um, just being able to patch out things like the aftertouch and back into the filter and just little things like that, just uh, were very subtle little enhancements. So that was a real great thrill having a go. Didn't you? Didn't you? Because we had one down. Because Alex brought that down here because he was filming uh, a couple of things, and uh, we had the Model D, and it was massive. I just thought this thing is absolutely. <laughs> I mean, Mini Moog doesn't even begin to describe. <laughs> There's nothing mini about it whatsoever. It, it seems just enormous compared to what we've seen from other synthesizers in the past. So that's the thing that I found. It's like, wow, it's massive, which is great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, and it just sounded brilliant. It just really was very evocative. I mean, I've mentioned it many times on the show. I was, I was fortunate enough to have had a long-term loan on a Model D about 15, 16 years ago. And it was the first synth I'd ever really learned how to use well i'd had loads of synths before that but mostly of the 90s sort of rompler kind of era uh and that was the first synth i could really understand and and it just felt so good um i was always disappointed with the voyager and when the voyager brought out the voyager old school i thought uh but seeing that now ah uh, 
because yeah amazing so so yeah that that was that was one of my my personal uh favorite things from a, an equipment point of view was just having that hands on but but the event itself as i say was uh, it was very well attended and this was something that i was imagine, i was thinking this would never have happened 5 years ago i don't think in britain i think it was really indicative of this sort of uh this lovely growing community and um, yeah. I've, I've, and also the amount of people who said that sonic was a real kind of galvanizing part of this coming together of a community i thought was fantastic um well that's nice also- that's nice to hear i mean i think obviously the sound or sound brand had a massive amount to do with you know obviously because oh, they're, they're yeah. just so yeah. did, any, did anyone see matt berry and ask him if he'll ever come on the show because that was one uh, thing i wanted <laughs> oh i will i will yeah i spoke to matt. matt matt and i imparted just a couple of secrets that was brilliant but i'm in contact with matt quite you know quite regularly i will ask him though i will excellent I will. there's something i need to talk to him about in fact he's possibly going to acquire a mixing desk off some future friends of Gaz's and mine. But, um, yeah, it, it turns out he lives in Rotherhithe and he lives in the flat where I used to stay when my band recorded at the other end of Rotherhithe in the 80s, like when it was, like, really, really Dregsville. And uh, one day we went to record and we weren't allowed out of the flats because Dempsey and Makepeace was being filmed. <laughs> <laughs> and I told I told him this story because they had all the car chases down there, and he said actually the first Dempsey and Makepeace was filmed in the Mayflower pub. So wow! Like, there you go, yeah. Dempsey and Makepeace. For those who I think was a, an obscure British uh, detective fil- uh, police drama, was it not? Yeah. Right. The most yes, the most surreal thing for me was uh, Philip Oakey saying coming up to me and saying it was 34 years ago we first met. Whoa. How weird is that? That's a long time, isn't and it? I've never met him in my life. No. <laughs> wow, awesome. I don't know, Rich. This is something that I'm going to try and get to it next year. I don't know if you'll be, if you're in the vicinity. We have to try and figure out a way to make it happen, right? I'd love to go to one of these. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you've got KnobCon, which is a very similar vibe, I believe, in the US. So uh, I think that's probably something. You didn't make it to that one, have you? you that was something we also talked about getting to as well, but I'm um, sadly. It's true. It's true. But I've been I'd been touring a lot, so yeah, it was exactly. tough yeah. for me to get around. But I do hope to see one of these things and see some of you guys at one of these things. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll do it. We'll I, do it. I spend most of my time apologizing to people. They go, what? Oh, we'll see you on the podcast. Oh, I'm really sorry now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm no need to apologize, <laughs> Dave. What was Even great us- actually is that what they they put the kind of smaller companies up in the main octagon and then they put the corporates kind of down in the dungeon. Uh, (laughs) And that separation for us was really, actually for loads of people, I think it worked out really, really well. You know, the corporates had their kind of space and private rooms, as it were, and we were all kind of like a big gang. Oh, nice. Mm. Gaz, you were just about to come in. I was just saying, lots of people were asking for you, for, for both of you, actually, uh, Nick and, and Rich. People were saying, where's Rich? Where's Rich? Is he here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, That's very sweet. Well, maybe next time, eh, Rich? We'll have to, to make, so. make yeah. a pledge or, 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 or something that's obviously you know, yeah. not won't stand up in a court of law if we can't make it. But, you know, something, <laughs> an intent, <laughs> a heads of agreement. Folks, that was great fun. I'm really glad. Uh, I mean, it sounds like that was a great success and it sounds a lot about because I wasn't sure because obviously, you know, it's quite, I mean, for, for us to go up, it would have been two nights away and it would have been a lot of, uh, a, a lot of away time. And I wasn't sure because obviously we covered the Leeds Modular event, which uh, Modular Meets, which was smaller, but of a similar ilk. 
So we, I want... um, oh, sorry, Matt. go. No, we um, yeah, it's worth doing, but make sure it's on like a Saturday night. I have to say, it's a milestone in getting older. There was a party afterwards, and it was kind of at the top of the town centre. And then Chris and I decided to walk back to our hotel, which was like on the outskirts of town. But we had to go through the town centre, and it was like. It was as if on a Saturday night in Sheffield, it was like all the adults in Sheffield had died and all the children were out just going mental, <laughs> absolutely <laughs> mental. And Chris and I were walking down the road just looking at each other going, well, it was mine the sick, but it was just, wow, wow, wow. It was unbelievable, like those Excellent. TV programmes you see. But it was very, very funny. Excellent. Well, I'm glad it was it was great for all who attended. And uh, yes, I, I, I'm looking for. Well, I, I, we did post one video from there, which was obviously the Deep Mind uh, augmented reality thing. But that I think is it for this week. Uh, it's been a long show. Uh, thank you very much to all our Facebook live viewers. It looks like um, it's held up. Uh, Dave wants to come back in again, so I will. I'll let him quickly before I wrap up. I do because I don't know whether I'm going to be around next week, and it's customary for me to be the uh, comments. Commenter on uh, people who've died, and unfortunately, we lost Rod Templeton. It appears today at the age of 66, and Mm. obviously, he was heat wave, which was just amazing. And uh, I want to tell my Rod Templeton story because I think it's a really it, we talk about, you know, trying to celebrate people's lives. And I think this is such a celebratory uh, story. He wrote for Michael Jackson, didn't he? He wrote some of the classic. He wrote Thriller, Off the Wall. He did stuff for George Benson. I mean, Heatwave was like when I was a teenager going out to discos, you know, boogie nights and stuff. It had such a warm feel. But he was from Cleethorpes. You know, he wasn't an L.A. guy. He was from Cleethorpes. And obviously after, I think it was Heatwave where Quincy Jones kind of went, we need that guy. His songs are great. His arranging is great. We need to get him over. And he did Off the Wall. And uh, I think he might have done Give Me the Night or something with George Benson. Anyway, he was obviously earning. He was one of those characters that, you know, because of his northern upbringing, that kind of working men's club and, you know, coming from effectively a poor family, he would always ponder over decisions like which shirt to buy, but unbeknown to him, he'd earned enough royalties from Thriller that he could have bought both the shirts in the time it took him to decide which one he wanted, you know, just from royalties he could have earned. Um, but the story is this, and it's been a, quite a secret story up until now, so I'm going to tell it. Uh, somebody said to him, what gave him the idea? Somebody I know asked him what gave him the idea for Thriller and what was the inspiration behind it and whatnot. And he said that he had always wanted to create or, yeah, create the ultimate party record. And he felt with Thriller that he pretty much achieved it. But then he asked the guy, so what, in your opinion, is the ultimate, you know, was the ultimate party record? And he went, well, I come from, you know, up north and it's a working men's club and whatnot. What is the ultimate party record? And I'm going to ask you guys this. Ooh. Um, it's, at what year, what year was this? Just legendary. What is a legendary? Uh, Black Lace. Okay, it's not far off, actually. You're not far off. Think of the cheesiest party record. Uh, The Birdie Song. Okay, The Conga. Ah. Right, now remove one of those bass lines. uh, Remove one of those notes from the bass line and think of Thriller. 
Oh, good grief. That's brilliant, <laughs> isn't it? Yep. That really is. <laughs> oh yeah brilliant that's that's awesome inspirational oh brilliant that dave thank you so much for that i mean obviously sad day for um you know condolences i i think the one thing what from what it looks like is you know it was it was a very short period of from being okay to being ill and and that and it all over so in, in some ways that's some kind of blessing if if there can be anything you can take from these kind of things but Sad, for sure. But what a great... Are you familiar with the conga, Rich? Of course. Ah, well, there we go. <laughs> there you, go. you would never, ever listen to Thriller in the same light. No, I suppose not. <laughs> that's, that's bizarre, isn't it? Anyway, thank you so much, guys. Thank you very much, everybody, for joining us. Quickly, before we go, I should just say, yes, you can enter to win a copy of Isotope's Vocal Synth. You want to tweet the hashtag Harmonies and the hashtag Vocal Synth, one word, to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. That's Harmonies and Vocal Synth as hashtags to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. But now say goodbye to everybody. Oh, guys, is that some, uh, is that some Apple headphones you've got there, by any chance? No, they've got no. wires on them. It- it's a heads up. It's just a heads up for any OP1 owners out there. The uh, These are the uh, official OP1 headphones that are oh, all in the right. same. And they were really expensive, and I never was that interested in them at that price. But um, they're 16 quid. They're normally like 60, 70 quid, but they're 16 quid on Amazon at the moment. So if you've got an OP1, uh, Robbie Bronneman came over yesterday and said, Hey, Robbie, look what, I, look what I got. I opened up my OP1 case. I pulled him out. He pulled his phone out. He just straight away. He <laughs> wanted so to excited. see what they were like. So it's, it's just one of those things. Uh, oh, no, 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 to buy one. For oh, OP1. okay. I'm only merely mentioning it because OP1 fans have a strange, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's quite a love affair. And this is, uh, yeah. So they're just like dirt cheap at the moment. So, yeah, just a little. Excellent. Thank you, Gaz. Thank you for joining us. Uh, GazWilliams.me. We hope to see you again very soon. Thank you for joining us, as I say. And of course, also Rich Hilton. Thank you for joining us too. I hope you have a a, a very productive day. You off to wax hotties and uh, top the charts. As many hotties as possible. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Well, Rich, it's been a pleasure as ever. So thank you for joining us. Thank you, guys. Had fun. And also Dave Spears, oh, not Andy Shillito, as it says there. Dave Spears, g4software.com. Thank you very much for your contributions. Uh, I hope we keep saying this. We must be in the same physical space together and go to a pub. Yeah, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. In fact, we're going to try and get down while Mark's here, but unfortunately yeah, uh, we can't. But uh, yes, we will. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, no problem. Well, that's it this, for this week. Thank you very much, everybody. Uh, thank you, as I say, once again to the Facebook Live viewers. Thanks to those on YouTube Live and also thanks to those in the chat room. Don't forget, if you enjoyed the show, subscribe on YouTube. We've got lots of other stuff going on as well, not just Sonic Talk. We have interviews, reviews. In fact, I've got some really exciting interviews coming up, I hope, if they work out. So we'll see you next time. That was Sonic Talk number 466. Bye-bye now.